10-5, touchdown, Arkansas State. Culver is safe. The Red Wolves have walked it off. Almir, coast to coast, lays it home with the right hand, and he's fouled. Welcome to the Second to None podcast, the A-State podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and... Brad Bobo. And we welcome you in to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. The ice is still melting in Northeast Arkansas. It seems like, and even with the temperature above freezing the last couple of days, it's just taking a long time to thaw all this stuff. Well, I, I uh, the local television meteorologist put out something on social media over the weekend that said, Here's your reminder that sleet melts slower than snow. I think that's been proven over the last <laughs> few days. That sleet has been sitting on the ground for quite a while now. But I'll lead off with this. I was surprised with how many people showed up on Thursday yeah. after all the sleet that had happened throughout the course of the overnight before that Thursday game. And then... I guess all the way up until the early afternoon, it was still sleeting. And the roads were not good, but there were still over a 1,000 people that made their way out to watch the Red Wolves last Thursday night. And then the roads still weren't great on Saturday and had a season-high crowd of over 2,500. Yeah, I felt bad, honestly, for the program and the athletic department on Thursday because the hype was there, and you finally kind of see – you saw the buy-in there from the community enough to think that there's about to be a good crowd in there Thursday night. And, you know, then the weather got in. You know, it, the last time that you got hyped up, you know, you didn't get a Little Rock game. And then – so every time there's there's kind of been that buy-in and people are ready to show up, something happens. And so this time it was the weather. But, yeah, that crowd that, that came there, and I guess it makes sense is that – they had to go the extra mile to get there. So once they got there, but they were ready. They were ready to impact the game. And oh, they I don't came. know if you could find a crowd of a thousand that made any more noise than that one did. Uh, they were extremely into the game. And going back to that Thursday contest, you're taking on ULM, and you know you're you're down most of the first half. You come back, you take the lead at halftime, you go up 14 in the second half. And at that point, when when A-State's up 14 in the second half, I'm thinking, you know, we may win this thing by 25 or 30. It it had that kind of feel like A-State had all of the momentum, but there was a turning point and there were a couple of technical fouls called against the Red Wolves. And after one of those techs, ULM, went on an 11-0 run, and all the momentum seemed to be shifted in mm-hmm. their direction at that point, and the game was just never the same. Yeah, the first of the two technicals came on the dunk by Marquise Davis. And again, what happened is, for Marquise, it's the lesson. You know, I try to tell my kids, especially my younger two, who were constantly at it. I try to tell them all the time, second guy gets caught. Second guy gets caught. Mm-hmm. Well, their dude, you know, Monroe had a guy who was doing a lot of chirping just about a trip before that. And he was mad about how tightly Marquise Davis was guarding him. And he was looking while the ball was in play. He was looking at the official trying to get a call w- with the basketball in his hand, looking at the official chirping, trying to get a call. And then he, he didn't get a call, but he passed the ball off and Marquise started guarding that guy and he did get called for a foul. And then the first guy it was uh, Jones. Andre Jones. Andre Jones. He started doing some mouthing. The officials see this. They know, all right, this thing's heating up. Well, then, lo and behold, it's not a trip or two later. Pass ahead, you know, lob from Caleb Fields to Marquise Davis. He goes up, dunks it. And who's it happen to be on? Andre Jones, who's underneath him. So before he even lets go of the rim, he's already talking. Well, again, given what just happened a trip or two before, pop. And then... 11-0 run follows it. ULM got back in the game. In fact, they came all the way back and won the game, 60-59. to It was a really rough shooting night for the backcourt. Marquise Eaton, Desi Sills, Caleb Fields, that starting backcourt for the Red Wolves, went a combined 5-for-34. And really, 
in the three conference losses, this has been the theme in all three of them. It's been cold shooting nights by that A-State backcourt. And look, we bragged on this backcourt, and they're fantastic. Yeah, they're going to win you more games than they lose you. Wouldn't trade them for anything. But in the three conference losses, in Lafayette, they go 6 for 36. Appalachian State, they go 9 for 32. And again, 5 for 34 this past Thursday against ULM. That's a combined 20 for 102. Mm-hmm. And it's tough to win that way. Even though all three of those games were extremely close. That's what I'm saying. They, your starting backcourt shoots under 20%, and you had a chance to win every one of those games. One of them's in, in, in overtime, another one's a one-point loss, and then they gave themselves a shot even in the App State game. So, I mean, that's kind of a good news, bad news deal, is that your three guards, all of which in their own respect are all conference caliber players, They've just so happened that that's been the numbers in the three losses, shooting just under 20% from the floor. Now, you hear those numbers offensively and how cold of a shooting night it was. And even you look at the score, 60-59. to And this is after the first game in Monroe was 90-83. to A-State won that game in Monroe. Well, you would think, and I even led Coach Bellotto kind of into our first question in the postgame show about the offense and the struggles there and he was more frustrated with the defensive breakdowns especially late in the game and just some missed assignments there and you talked about how you and coach Boyer on the ESPN plus broadcast talked about how Nika Metzglarishvili got open to hit that three that eventually won the game with 16 seconds left he was wide open on that left side, and that's one of the things Coach Bellato was talking about. Coach Boyer had – and I, look, I don't know this. If I'm not sitting by a guy who's a head college basketball coach for 20 years, I'm not sitting here recognizing what that guy's doing. But he does, and he, he'd been saying – he'd said it two or three times leading up to that. You got to watch out because this is not a pick-and-pop guy. This is not a pick-and-pop guy. You got to respect the way he shoots it. He's a pick-and-flare-out to the three-point line. And they've, he's been wide open a couple of times, and they haven't given it to him. Then, boom, last possession of the game. They give it to him, and he knocks down the three for the win. In the loss, Norshad O'Meer had video game numbers, 23 points, a career-high 26 rebounds. The 26 boards were an arena record and second-most in a single game in school history. It was flat-out phenomenal. And and look, you had the defensive breakdowns, you had the cold shooting night, but the effort, for the most part, was really good. There was a sequence, and I'm sure you remember it, in the first half of that game where Norshad got four or five boards. <laughs> a couple of other guys kept the possession alive. And at the end of it, the ball goes out of bounds. It goes to ULM, and I think most of the fans there gave – our guys a standing ovation just because of the effort during that sequence it was amazing yeah i think we commented on our broadcast you you know not a lot of uh empty possessions end in standing ovations but this this one did and it was well deserved a couple of notes on north shad's night there's a uh, an online database sports reference it's pretty cool whatever you're looking for you can go in, you can kind of do game searches on this. So I was looking, as really as I was getting ready for the game against the Cajuns, went back and looked. So he, he goes for 23 and 26. So the first thing I started looking at was, uh, just to even it up, I started looking at g- games where a player had 23 points and 23 rebounds. He was better than 2020. He was tw- at least 23-23. So I typed that in. And this covers the last 12 seasons, going back to 10, 2010-2011. And that was the 16th game in 12 seasons oh, wow. where somebody had at least 23 and 23. Now, here's what's interesting about the 23 and 23 part. 16 times it's happened. Counting Norshad's, the guy who puts up that stat line is only 9 and 7 in those 16 games. Hmm. Seven out of the 16 times the guys had those numbers and got beat. But I went ahead and then went back and started over because he had 23 and 26 rebounds. Went ahead and changed it to that. 23 and 26. Only the fourth time in 12 years somebody's had yeah, that all stat of line. In all of one Division I men's basketball. Mm. Just an amazing night. And 
every week he does something where we're like, oh my God, what did we just watch? And shifting to Saturday, it was setting up like, what are we about to see? Well, and as we shift to Saturday, and it was disappointing, and I'll start talking about the game with the Cajuns here because I go back and sit down to record my pregame with with Coach Bellotto. He sits down and he says, look, I'm still having a hard time getting over Thursday night. I mean, it was still just bothering him so much. And I know it bothered the players. And he said, to their credit, they came back and had a great practice Friday. They were locked in from the start. Look, that game from the tip, it was so intense. (laughs) Yeah. And really, the one that that brought the energy as much as anybody, once again, was Norshad. There's there's no surprise about that. But he had 13 rebounds in the first eight minutes of the game. And I remember kind of tapping you during the second media timeout, thinking, what in the world is going on? It looked like he was going to have 40 rebounds Saturday, the way he was going. Yep, at the under 12, he's sitting at six points, 13 boards. I tweeted this out at this point. I said, how much money could you have made taking bets at that media timeout that this is the day the double-double streak ends? You'd have got rich. <laughs> There's zero chance. He's got six points, 13 boards at the under-12 timeout in the first half. 13 rebounds, eight minutes into the game. But he finishes with 8.17 yeah. rebounds. In 22 minutes. And that was because of foul trouble. And look, we bragged on Norshad because he's done a much better job at limiting the foul trouble. But in this particular game, that was something that was a major issue. And Now, in his defense, really, I mean, I, if you went back and looked at all five, you know, I don't know that he ever hammered somebody in any of them. He picked up a goofy one, I think, uh, maybe out on the perimeter, but maybe not. Actually, that was Desi's whose fourth one was not a very good one because he was trying to get a steal. The fifth one I didn't really understand. The fourth one and the fifth one, he fell victim to the officials trying to take control of the game back because it was getting Thursday. Guy heated, and they started calling it real, real tight until the last few minutes of the game and then stopped calling it that way. Saturday, starting to get a little chippy. What's going to happen? And that's at the point where the fouls were 5 nothing. You know, Arkansas State in the second half. And get chippy, chippy, chippy. Well, all of a sudden, the fans are going to tighten it up. They start calling more. And then Norshed kind of he, – he fell victim to that because his fourth or fifth either one, he didn't get his money's worth. Look, at some point, it's going to happen, though. And you'd like to think every game the rest of the way, Norshad's going to be able to stay out of foul trouble. But – it happened the other night. He got into foul trouble, and it was such a critical part of the game. Because, look, A-State, they looked to be in control in the first half. They were up 16 at one point. It was still an 11-point lead at the half, but the Cajuns came back in the second half. They're a good team. You mm-hmm. should expect them to get back into it. They got it down to four, and with 12 and a half minutes to go, A-State's up 42-36. It's a six-point game. Norshad picks up that fourth foul. We wouldn't see him again for the next nine minutes. He wouldn't come back until after that final media timeout. So it was up to the bench to get it done, and man, did they ever. Mm -hmm. And two guys in particular, uh, Antoine Jackson played his best game of the season, maybe his best game as a Red Wolf, 10 points in 22 minutes off the bench. And then Marquise Davis was fantastic, too. He had 13 points, hit a couple of big threes. Those two, and you can throw in Malcolm Farrington, too, because he had a couple of big threes late in that second half. That group from off the bench helped build that lead while Norshad was out of the game. Yeah, they sure did. And, you know, it's in there at one point, it's 25 to 9, and looks like it could be a blowout. And the Cajuns weathered that storm. Even though they really they got it only down to 11 at the half, you got the sense that this game had settled in, right? I mean, Arkansas State led by double digits almost the first half, but you knew it wasn't over because they had sort of – they had taken that punch in the mouth and didn't get knocked out. They kind of got their, got their feet back under them. And then you compound it with foul trouble mounting up. And, you know, leading into that under – I mean, for some stretch between the under eight and the under four, with the game still in the balance, Norshad O'Meara, 
Desi Sills, Marquise Davis, all three sitting over there with four fouls. Yeah, yeah, Desi was in foul trouble too, but I thought he was a big key to this win. Uh, he, he goes 7 of 12 from the field, finishes with 15 points. Marquise Eaton went 1 for 11 from the field, but he hit some really big free throws late in the game after uncharacteristically missing two (laughs) free throws earlier in the game. He finished 8 of 10 from the line, but he hit those big free throws late. And then Caleb Fields, he didn't make a shot from the field, but he didn't shoot as much. He he was just 0 of 3. He was more of a distributor. And look, he's top 3 in the league in assists. He's top... I think two in assists to turnover ratio. And he had nine assists to just one turnover the other night, and he was huge. He reminds you, and this is something else we talked about. I challenge you to go find a game where a guy can impact it more shooting three times than Caleb Fields impacted that game Saturday. Uh, he was great. And, you know, he, he's part of those shooting woes we talked about in those conference losses. And obviously that's not lost on those guys. This is a group of of players that doesn't need to be told what the numbers are. They know it. And every one of them, you know, like coach said in here last week, every one of them thinks they're the cause of every loss. And then from Marquise's standpoint, look, unless it was a late clock situation, out of those shots that he took and didn't hit, I don't remember very many of them being bad shots. I remember most of them being shots, you want Marquise Eaton taken every time he gets it. They just didn't go in. Still what happens? Put the ball in his hands late, and he goes and ices it at the free throw line. With everything that happened, and bench play was huge, we talk about the individuals that stepped up. Really, it started on the defensive end of the floor, though, and you hold a team to 34% shooting and force 20 turnovers, most times you're going to win the game. And that that was the big key, I thought, the other night. Yeah, and then to circle back around and kind of end it where we started, we talk about the 1,000 people that came Thursday night. Uh, man, that the 2,500, I mean, that was a legit that was a fun crowd college too. basketball atmosphere. And it just shows you, like it doesn't take First National Bank Arena being full essentially a quarter full maybe a little over a quarter full but the ones that came they didn't just come to sit and watch a game right they came to help arkansas state beat the cajuns and they did and it wasn't just down the stretch either i mean it was from the tip it was as intense in the first five six minutes (laughs) of that game as it was in the final five or six minutes yeah and and that's i mean credit goes to the crowd for that and I've always thought the same thing about Centennial Bank Stadium. The way that thing is built, and I guess the way it sits down in a hole, it doesn't. Have, you don't have to have thirty thousand people in there to make it a hard place for a, a, an opposing team to come play. Probably takes more than five thousand, but for whatever reason about both those venues, they don't got to be full. They just. I mean, you put a good chunk of people in there ready to impact the game, and it's going to be hard for a road team to come out of there with a win. So the Red Wolves now 15 and 6 overall, 6 and 3 in Sunbelt Conference play, tied for third place in the league standings with Texas State, just behind Troy and Appalachian State and that fight for the Sunbelt regular season championship with 3 games to go. We'll talk about the week ahead a little bit later on for the men. Meanwhile, the women have been on the road the last 6 days. We're recording this on Monday afternoon. They've got a game tonight that was not originally scheduled. (laughs) Before we even get to this, let me say, I cited sports reference for the database it is. I do not think, I tried and I could not get a list of college basketball games rained out over the last 12 seasons, but the A-State women had a rain out. Well, I could actually relate a little bit to the leak in the roof at Fan Ewing Coliseum on Thursday night. And Cade Carlton had texted me and kind of told me what was going on. We were getting ready for the game here against Monroe. And he's in Monroe and says, it looks like there might be a delay. We may not even play. And I'm thinking, what's going on? So, you know, they had to decide whether or not they were going to try to play. Now, I know the leak slowed down, but they still didn't didn't want to – go with with even a slow leak and i understand Mm -hmm. that i remembered a few years ago being home and we were playing a game against coastal carolina yep 
And we had the same thing at First National Bank Arena. And I think it was the same night. We had tornadoes in the area. There there were some bad storms. That's the deal. You go back to that night, and that's exactly what happened. There was a tornado warning at one point that everybody down, you know, anybody who was in the building was not up in the stands. And in that point, the building got hit with straight line winds, and that and it caught and it literally did damage to the top of the arena, specifically what caused that leak that night. We were able to play that night against Coastal Carolina. I remember it mainly for me because I was already on the air, and <laughs> you know we we've got however many stations across the network at that point, between fifteen and twenty stations that are carrying the game. We can't just take a break and then come back later i was grabbing everybody i could in that arena that night to try to keep the broadcast going and and do interviews and finally we got it going about an hour and a half after it was originally scheduled but to your point real quick just because it kind of sets the scene for what we'll talk about in a few minutes the reason why he couldn't just bail on that broadcast and say we'll rejoin you at x time to all these stations is that Due to the miracles of modern technology, most, if not all of them, don't have somebody sitting at the board running that game. A computer's doing it all. That's right. So we're at the mercy of the time that we told our affiliates across our network when we were supposed to go on air. I've got to go on the air at that time, no matter what. So that's why I had an hour and a half to two hour long pregame show for a basketball game against Coastal Carolina. And we've had delays like that over the years. Not quite that long, though. So that's what happened in that situation at home a few years ago. In this case, with the women at ULM the other night, they decide to postpone the game. And I know there were different options that were suggested. One of them was to play the next morning, Friday morning at 10 o'clock. And in that case, yeah, you could play the game, but then you got to hop on the bus after the game, travel down to Lafayette, and then play them the next day. So you're, you're talking about back-to-back days, both on the road with, you know, a three-and-a-half-hour bus drive between. And you're short on bodies. Which, to her credit, Destiny Rogers shut that down. She said, no. You know, we'd rather postpone it and play it on Monday. Well, the initial word that came out was we had been hearing, hey, this Friday morning options out there. I don't know about you, but the next thing I see is, hey, there's no game and it's been called a no contest, which makes me think it's over and it's not ever happening. And then later Thursday night, you see word come out that they're going to they found a way to play it, you know, Monday at at five. So I, I get given where her number of available bodies are right now. I understand Coach Rogers not want to go back to back days on the road because typically you, your first thought is, "Hey, right now you're scrapping a little bit, and ULM hasn't won a game in the conference. You need to figure out a way to get this game in." But then you think, but you start thinking, "Well, you know they they don't. I mean they they're down quite a few players, and you're." giving yourself not much chance at all to go get a win Saturday. So after they called the game Thursday night, they hop on the bus, they go down to Lafayette, they stay there Thursday night, Friday night, they play Saturday. And in that game, they lose 68-57. to 57. And look, I mean, they shot 31%. It's hard to shoot 31% and win on the road. And defensively, I know there's still some issues there. And they allowed the Cajuns to shoot 53%. And that's one thing that Destiny Rogers has continued to kind of harp on. The defense has to get better. And look, they're also doing this without Kia Patton. They, they've been without their leading scorer the last handful of games now. It's crazy. And I'm sure we talked about this very same thing last week, but this team started 4-0 and in the league last year and lost their leading score in the fifth game. And that team did not win again. This team sitting at 3-1 and on the league, got some momentum, everybody's loving them up. And in the daggum pregame warm-ups to the fifth game, their leading score goes down. And to this point, they haven't won since. Now, I don't think it's going to be a case where this team doesn't no. win again, but they haven't won since. All right, so... As this comes out on Tuesday, hopefully that is a day after the women end that losing streak That's right. as they played in Monroe on Monday night. More to come here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. 
Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. So get more control, more convenience, and more peace of mind with your Simmons Bank debit and credit cards. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Back on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Doing something a little bit different today. No guest, but one thing we try to do on this program is give you a look behind the curtain every now and then. And, you know, one thing that we can talk about is our roles and how they apply differently on different platforms. You know, you and I have both done radio, mainly done radio over the years. We've also both done television, but in our current roles, especially during basketball season, you're doing a whole lot of games. You're doing every A-State home game, men's and women's, on ESPN+. Plus. I'm doing all the radio games home and away for the A-State men. It's something we enjoy. We like doing play-by-play, but what we do right now especially it is very different. Yeah, we both call Arkansas State games and – in a lot of ways, that's about where the similarities end. And we're both used to kind of uniquely positioned to talk about it because we each have done both. I'm not speaking out of turn. You can, you're sitting right here and tell me I'm wrong. I, I feel like you prefer the radio call. I think you like doing that. I do. I do. And I also feel kind of a, a loyalty to the radio call just because – That's our business. Mm -hmm. We work in radio on a daily basis. At the beginning of this ESPN Plus thing, and and you know this, I mean, we were exploring our options. And, you know, Terry Mahajer was really good when he was setting all this stuff up. He said, look, let's explore every every option. If, If you don't feel comfortable doing the TV thing, then we can figure something else out. And that's exactly what he did. I said, look, I feel like, we need to keep it consistent on the radio side. He said, I completely understand. And and a big reason for it, and look, we've got a lot to be proud of, especially on the football side. We've got one of the bigger radio networks in the entire group of five. We've got 20 affiliates on our network. So it's something we take a lot of pride in. And it's something that we've also been doing for a long time. So I, I think that you're right. I enjoy doing the radio side too. That's a that's a big part of it. It is a different type of play by play though. Mm-hmm. I think the the best description of what I do, I try to be as descriptive as possible. While on the other hand, there there's also an art to TV play by play where you can talk too much and it it's knowing what to say and kind of putting captions with the pictures if you will. Yeah, the flip side is forced to pick and i'll do either one and bounce back and forth and you know even you know, in calling high school games some of the stuff we do here i'll call anyway i've come to really enjoy the tv side of it because of that because you know you don't have to paint the picture because people see the picture and and so it's i think it's even evolved as probably we've gone on here i i, I keep realizing how much you can kind of keep backing down how much actual play-by-play you're doing and figure out there's times you don't got to talk at all and neither does the other person. It's okay if there's a, a couple of seconds here where nobody's talking. Uh, I've always admired Joe Buck, and I think he's as good as anybody there is. But some of the best moments in games that Joe Buck has called is when he shuts up. There's been times where he's gone a minute or two without saying a word, and he knows exactly when to do that. You're doing a great job with working, and a big part of the TV side is letting the color analyst be the star, because on the TV side, that's part of your responsibility as the play-by-play guy. That's exactly right, and I go back to one of our earlier episodes of this show and I was you know I had a not a teaching moment I had a learning moment for myself going back to that Memphis football game 
when you open yourself up. Here's a, the other thing I've learned to, about the TV side is you open yourself up to sort of twice the criticism, right? I mean, because you've got Arkansas State fans watching it, and if it's not good, they'll let you hear about it. But then you've also now you've got that other team's fans watching it too, and they're really – We'll let you hear about it. So this is what the two things I found out and over the course of this last year especially. And and I think I've said this before. What I figured out is the the sort of feedback I'm after is none at all. (laughs) Kind of like the officials. This is a no news is good news proposition. Except for, and and the one tweak I've come to this, is that the feedback I'm really after if somebody watches one of those broadcasts is to come out of it and say, boy, so-and-so that color analyst is really good. Boy, Carol Halford does a good job, man. I really, Brian Boyer does a good job on those games. That feedback I'm really after. And so what I figured out is that like really the TV play by play guy, I'm really sort of just an offensive lineman, right? I mean, I'm clearing the way for, for other people to put up the numbers. Yeah, that is part of it. One thing, because of the current setup, and it's so unique because in the grand scheme of things, this ESPN Plus thing that so many schools have gone to now is still really new. I mean, it's it's a new proposition. You've got people from that area, people that represent these schools, providing a broadcast that is supposed to be unbiased. Supposed to be. And I know that there are schools that kind of put that to the wayside a little bit more. I know you do a good job at trying to be as unbiased so, a, a, as possible. Yeah. But when you're calling a game, now look, I mean, people know on our broadcast, the Arkansas State Network Radio Broadcast, that I want Arkansas State to win. I'm not, you know, I'm not a we or us type of guy. Mm-hmm. I, I'm somebody that, you know, I, I don't try to be an over the top homer or anything like that but people know that i want arkansas state to win my voice is going to reflect excitement when a state does something good it's different on your end and i know you've got to be more careful and and look i mean we're getting ready for the game the other night you're double checking pronunciations for the cajuns because you know that audience and Lafayette is there's probably more people because a lot of the fans are at the game you know that there's a good chance that you've got as as many or more people watching down in Lafayette than in Jonesboro for that game yeah yeah and so I want to say that because I understand like I for the bulk of my 12 years doing women's basketball I picked up a well-deserved reputation as a homer it, you know, it was bad at stretches and got a little bit better as I got a little older down the stretch. So I understand it's kind of what you're, what you're walking in the door labeled as, but I'll tell you, I mean, I want you, I take not being a homer in these deals. Seriously. I don't, I mean, I, I, I feel like we're, you know, we're doing the game on the ESPN platform and that's the sort of broadcast people deserve. Now, it has led to an interesting conversation. Actually, uh, as we're sitting here on this Monday, my wife and I had this conversation driving around in the car last night. She asked me two things about broadcasts. She sat and watched the game Saturday. And uh, the, both were really valid questions. One was about what we just talked about. She said there were times where nobody said anything. Was I scared there was too much dead air? And I said, no, because it's okay, right? I mean, I don't have to, you, we're not responsible for telling everybody every move everybody's making they can see it that's okay and then the second one is was i concerned that i'd be viewed as a homer in that game because there are times when arkansas state's on that run and they're making great plays that you get that excited tone in your voice i got that excited tone in my voice and i understood completely where she was coming from i thought it was a valid in fact a really good question and so my answer to it is, well, maybe, but here's what I also say. Had that been Joe Blow broadcaster coming in to do that game on a national broadcast, when Arkansas State was making those plays, his voice would have gotten excited with it because you're kind of just following the crowd. And when's the crowd going to get ramped up? 
when the home team's doing something. Yeah, that's true. It, it, it doesn't do much good to hoop and holler when the Cajuns score a basket because nobody else in the place is going to be hooping and hollering when the Cajuns score a basket. So you counter that by just being, man, you respect being respectful. You recognize when they make great plays and when they've got great players because they did plenty of both. And touch on man, it's a big shot. I mean, just you, I mean, I try to talk them. I try to talk the other team up as much as I'm talking Arkansas State up. But your your octave is going to change when the home team is making plays. Really, no matter who that home team is. And I know how much you love Arkansas State, and it's one of those things where. It's okay to get excited when Arkansas State scores, but you also need to do it on the other end. If the Cajuns made a big player in the case of Thursday night when ULM takes the lead on that three with 16 seconds to go, I'm sure it feels a little unnatural, but at the same time, you've got to show some excitement at what just happened for the other team. That's right, and we did get an exact that same situation, that, that that very deal in that game Thursday night. So, you know, I don't think we're doing okay at that, and it, it's been a learning experience for me again, not about how to do it because I've taken I've taken that part seriously from the get go. You're dealing with the what comes along with it, and how much you're twice as open to criticism doing those TV broadcasts. That stuff I've had to do a better job myself of dealing with, and you know, and here's the thing, like. At some point, and I'm not telling tales because it's only natural. You look at the color people we've rolled through over the years. And at some point, we've had to have a a we-us conversation with every one of them. Because they all, no matter what they're doing now, have have ties to this place. Coach Cat, he was more likely than anybody to to say we or us about Arkansas State. And you'd have to say, Coach. Oh, we've got to do it on the radio side, too. Carol Halford. With football. Because it's natural to think, hey, I, you know, I'm coming here because it's it's hard to get the grasp of we're not just doing the Arkansas State broadcast. Carol Halford, she didn't coach at Arkansas State, but she's tied in with Jerry Ann Winters, right? I mean, she when Jerry Ann Winters took the Arkansas State job, the person who followed her in Walnut Ridge, where she was the head coach, is Carol Halford. So she's kept up with this A State women's program forever. CJ Pepper. Was on the NCAA tournament team. People know him associated with Arkansas State. I want to tell you this: Brian Boyer was the head coach at Arkansas State for twenty years, and I know that he's not anymore. And you might think there were bruised feelings or something about that. Sit by that guy in an Arkansas State game. Now he does a heck of a job of it not coming through the air, but I see what he's doing in big spots. I know where he's emotionally invested in that game because I see him reacting in a completely nonverbal way to big things happening in the game. There's no mystery. That guy loves Arkansas State and wants the best for it. Man, it's fun having him around again, too. And I know you guys have been so close over the years, and I like the heck out of him, always have. But it's something he loves doing. He's got his own business, doing well up in Kansas City, but you can tell he enjoys – coming back here and being a part of college basketball still. I mean, it worked out perfectly last year to get to kind of to set this chain of events into motion because you had the COVID year. So many broadcasts across the country were going remote. You know, Roger Twible was still involved with these games. Uh, he wasn't wanting to come to Jonesboro every time. He lives in Kansas City. LTN, the rights holder for a state that does the production, has a studio in Kansas City. So here's, you know, so every once in a while, they're looking for, a couple times, they're looking for, hey, do you got any ideas on who could be the color person here? Just so happens I know a guy in Kansas City. And so that's how it started. He went to the to the studio and called a couple of games remote, took to it very quickly. People enjoyed it. So keep this in mind. If you see Coach Boyer or you're watching a broadcast that Coach Boyer's doing this year, He's driven six-plus hours to do it. And in the case of last week, he drove six-plus hours. Well, I don't know how many hours. He drove from Kansas City here in it took that him, weather. took him 12 hours to get here. To do those games. And the part he and, – and he actually had him on the air with me for a little bit Friday on my show. And he said, you know, the calling the games is fun, but the part he, and the part he likes the most is going to team shoot-around. That's his favorite part of it. Going to team shoot around, 
and talk and watching teams go through that, talking with the coaches and doing his prep that way. You know, and I think it's really cool too that Coach Brady has ended up doing what he's doing down at LSU. Yep. And I think he's very similar to Coach Boyer in the fact that he still gets to be around the game. He's loving what he's doing. By all accounts, they absolutely love him down there. Just they should in that role. They should. And nobody talks basketball better than John Brady does. And yeah, I'm glad they're they're both in a similar role now doing color for broadcast. And on the TV side, it is a different animal. It's got to be probably a little bit more structured on the radio side, just when you can talk, when you can't talk. Football in particular, I've got to have enough time to, to set up a play. In the meantime, on the f- football side for a TV broadcast, if you're doing a game with Pete Cordelli, he can talk all the way up until the play starts. It's a little bit more flexible there. And truth is, he can talk whenever he wants to, however much he wants to, as long as one person's talking at a time. Because if his description, same for Boyer, Coach Halford, CJ, whoever, their description of a play or their kind of their analysis overlaps into the next play, whoop-de-doo, because guess what they can do? Sit there and see the next play. I mean, you and I have worked together a long time. One thing I've always admired about you is just how versatile of a broadcaster you are. And you know what you do and and you'll call a tv game doing play-by-play one week and then you'll be back on the sideline for our radio broadcast the next week and it's just it it's a completely different thing but with you i never have to think about and and sidelines its own art because you never know you've got me in your ear the entire time you never know when i'm going to throw it down to you but you're always ready Whatever I come down to you with, you're ready to go. I mean, it's, it's being able to say things in those particular spots. And and I know that there's no play-by-play guy in America that trusts his sideline reporter more than me trusting you for that very reason. Because I know if I throw it down to you, you're going to be ready to go. That's something you enjoy as well. Yeah, I do. I, I like it for a lot of reasons. I, I like being down there. I like the notion that still see in every football game i mean quite honestly not to jinx it or or you know the bubble could burst at some point in time but like i've got my basically perfect setup right now i i don't really kind of want anything coming along and fooling with it <laughs> where uh to, to get the opportunity to call those games for espn plus at home to still have getting to see those road games and and so when a season ends, like you, you can say you saw every snap of the football season, and it you know makes you better at that, makes you better at calling the ESPN Plus game, and it makes you better when I'm in that studio during the week doing my show, having stood there and seen every play of every game, and then you know to still be around both basketball programs calling home games without having to travel a basketball schedule, which is really the main reason you know I stopped doing it seven years ago anyway. And so, yeah, I've again, knock on wood, I've, I've got a heck of a setup. Well, there you go. There's a little bit of a look behind the curtain, deeper into the differences between TV and radio play-by-play, and we can go a whole lot further into the details there at some point. But, yeah, I thought especially now with kind of where we are in the season and what we're doing every single week, during basketball was a good time to talk about that and i'm glad we did more to come here on the second to none podcast presented by simmons bank right after this the simmons bank card alerts app lets you get more from your simmons debit and credit cards set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert you can suspend your card set a spend limit or decline specific transaction types you can even manage multiple cards If your debit card is lost or stolen or you're opening a new account, you can immediately get a new card just by visiting your nearby Simmons branch. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Take a look at the week ahead, an important stretch for the A-State men. Again, they're still right there in the thick of things in the race for a Sunbelt championship and A critical stretch starts this week. Four straight games on the road, and they make the Alabama swing this week. Troy probably has been the biggest surprise in the league this season. 
They're at seven and three in the conference standings. They're a half game ahead of the Red Wolves heading into this week, who are at six and three in the conference. But you know, this is a big game Thursday night, six o'clock, and I think everybody around the league has a ton of respect for Scott Cross and mm-hmm. the job he did at UTA, and now he's a couple of years in to this job in Troy and seems to be turning this thing around in a hurry. Sure does. You know, of the contenders, and man, look, this conference race is so jammed up. Arkansas State was the last team to take its third loss when that happened on Thursday night because App had just taken its before, you know, as A-State was getting underway. So they were the last team in the league, in a 12-team league, to take their third loss. There's one team left that hasn't lost a conference home game. That's Troy. It's certainly not going to be easy. It's a Troy team that shoots a whole lot of threes. Uh, They get to the line a lot, too. Even with all the threes that they shoot, they're really good defensively. But uh, anxious to see a matchup of two of the top teams in the Sun Belt right now. And uh, Mark Taylor, you know, he... He ran the numbers and you start using the net, which we talked about, you know, really doesn't count for much mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, in the league race. But if you use it just for kind of a, to figure a strength of schedule here, you know, A-State's got the, the toughest strength of schedule of any of these contenders coming down the stretch. Red Wolves will close out the road swing Saturday at South Alabama. South Al team that's five and five in conference play. They've got a ton of talent, yep. but they've built it. A different way there and just kind of taking an advanced look and I did this earlier today I got on their website and looked at their roster I didn't recognize a single name on it and that kind of tells you just how hard they've hit the transfer portal they've got two of the top five scores in the league an LSU transfer and an A&M transfer so Richie Riley's hit the portal hard and We'll see how this team holds up down the stretch. We talked about it with Coach Pilato when he was in here last week. And you go about building programs different ways. And he wanted to build his program where he brought guys in as freshmen. And a lot of, in most cases, that's what he's done. This team's been together a long time. They know their roles. And I guess in some cases, South Alabama's not the only team doing this. But you're taking a little bit of a gamble when you bring all these players in, and I'm sure the expectations, especially coming from a big school like these guys are coming in from, they expect to be on the floor all the time and putting up big numbers. Yeah, there's a risk involved. There's a risk involved, as Coach Bellato said, to doing it the way he did it because you run the risk of people running out of patience with you, of not giving you the time to take root that way. So... I understand how a coach says, well, gosh, we're going to get good fast. We're going to go build up in the portal, especially in this day and age when there's so many guys there. I understand the theory of it, but in practice, it's a great old big chemistry experiment that if it goes well, you're going to win the league. And if it doesn't, you know, it could be a disaster. And I'm not, not, South Alabama is not one, but when you bring all these new personalities in, you're on the dice of it absolutely blowing up on you. Right now, Jack, you are probably somewhere in the middle. The women do not have a game Thursday. They will be on the road Saturday at Little Rock. Tip off at 2 o'clock Saturday afternoon at the Stevens Center. Somebody gets to play Little Rock this year. Oh, me. I wish Arkansas State would win that game down there. <laughs> last chance. And I thought for all the world they had it last year. You know, yeah. Led, 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 and the game went over time. But I'm telling you. I know the whole nature of uh, you know trying to keep the thing going, and they're leaving. Little Rock's leaving the league and stuff. But if Arkansas State doesn't win this game Saturday, I'm sending. If I'm the, you know, the AD, I'm sending a text. It's like or tell Coach Foley if you ain't coming to Jonesboro, don't call. We ain't coming. The answer is automatically no. Yeah, they've still never won. That's unbelievable. In that building and. Yeah, especially considering all the good teams that A-State has had over the years. (laughs) Oh, me. And then uh, another event coming up here in the next week. And, of course, this will uh, happen before our next podcast comes out. But the Grand Slam Banquet is back next Monday, February 14th. 
didn't have the event last year because of all the COVID stuff going on. And look, I mean, it's something I get to host every year. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite events. If you love baseball memorabilia, the live and silent auction items are always amazing. But uh, the guest this year is Jason Isringhausen, member of the 300 Career Saves Club in Major League Baseball. He's tied for 30th all-time on that list, and 217 of those saves came with the Cardinals. Looking forward to doing the Q&A with him, and I'm just excited because baseball season's upon us, and Grand Slam Banquet is always such a cool way to kind of kick it off. Yeah, it's a, a mention this event, make sure people know about it, and my rant all rolled up in one. Come on out, folks. And watch a daggum Texas Ranger fan interview a Cardinal great. <laughs> well, won't that be something? <laughs> that was uncalled for. <laughs> I just say so. Yeah, what's I the- always enjoy, and we talk about the preparation process, and sometimes it's more fun than others uh, getting ready for, for these games. But for this, I always. You know, I put a, quite a bit of prep into interviewing these guys and to sit up there and have a 30, 40 minute conversation on a stage full of people and kind of do a this is your life type of thing. And, and I've had fun, man. And David Eckstein was incredible. I loved the interview with him. Um, Lee Smith had a great time with him. I'm trying to remember who we had a couple of years ago. Well, we, well did y'all have that format with Papel Bond was there. Did that with Papelbon, did that with Ankill. Does this not go back, though? What I mean, was like, again, lifting the curtain back. You guys are getting all the access today. This sort of started, right? We sort of shifted to this format because some of these former players are perfectly comfortable standing behind the podium talking, and some need this format where they can. you're going to get the best stuff out of them if you're sitting there bouncing some questions off of them and it feels like i don't know it was a jack clark or somebody came through that was specifically that way that kind of saw the transition to, to this style of program yeah uh, raboski came that one year and we decided after that the q a was probably the best way to go coach polk came one year and and he gave a lot of good information but he was up there a long time too so i think that <laughs> part of it is just you know trying to to keep it a little bit closer to time. You don't want to go over on these things where, you know, attention is lost. And but everybody seems to be really locked in when we do it. Yeah. This and way. I did one too uh, up at a a Cal Ripken tournament in Paragold last year, a regional tournament where I tried. brought in Brian Jordan yeah. uh, for a banquet. We did it the same way, and it does. I mean, it it, it works well. Because at that point, like you doing the prep and you're kind of getting some bullet points, you want to make sure you touch. But it does then give that that featured speaker the opportunity to you know veer off down some road or some other story pops up. All right, so that's your rant. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a fun episode, man. I enjoyed uh, kind of going a little bit deeper into what we do this week. We'll have a lot to talk about next week as we recap the Alabama swing for the A State men the women's game at Little Rock, and get you ready for another big week ahead. For Brad, I'm Matt. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.